Rest. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, down. welcome to a Daily Power Parsha. Donna, jump in. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course I feel for Ray. I mean, we're all in that situation one way or another. That's why, you know, holidays like this are always bittersweet, you know? Yeah, especially a sibling's birthday, though. I mean, let's not, let's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's very, um, it's very poignant. It's very, um, very emotional. So let's, uh, let's jump into today's Torah reading. Uh, today, this week's Torah portion is Va'era. And we have, we are right in the middle of the plagues. There's a lot to cover with these plagues. There's a lot of insights that we could, that we can jump in on. So I want to jump in and get, and, uh, and, and get into our Torah reading. So today is Thursday, which means we're up to reading number five. Yesterday, we read about the first two plagues. We had the plague of blood and the plague of frogs. We ended off yesterday's conversation with the frogs just absolutely um, infiltrating and infesting the land of Egypt. And at the same time, we had, um, the same time, we had um, uh, Pharaoh going to Moses and asking Moses to make it all stop. He says, Moses, make it stop. And Moses says, when do you want it to stop? And Pharaoh says, make it stop tomorrow. So this is what happens. And this is exactly the way the narrative continues. So let's jump right in. Exodus chapter 8, verse number 7, fifth reading, Va'era. All right, here we go. And the frogs will depart from you. Moses continues speaking to Pharaoh. Tomorrow you want it. Tomorrow it's going to happen. What's going to happen? The frogs will depart from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people. Only in the Nile will they remain. So it's not like frogs will be utterly, uh, utterly eradicated from Egypt, just from where they shouldn't be. But they will be back in the Nile, back in the river, in the waters where they belong. So let's continue. Moses and Aaron went away from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs that he had brought upon Pharaoh. So now Moses is crying out to Hashem, is basically praying to God, on behalf of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, praying that God undo the plague or take away the frogs. Verse number 9, God listens. And the Lord did according to Moses' word, and the frogs died from the houses, from the courtyards, and from the fields. So what happens to the frogs? They don't disappear. They all die. So no more jumping around, no more infestation. All the frogs died. Listen to this, verse 10, the plague continues. They gathered them into many heaps. They gathered them into many heaps. And the land stank. It smelled, it, it just, it, it reeked of dead frogs. Can you imagine? Millions and millions of dead frogs just piled up in heaps throughout the land of Egypt. It was a disaster. Let's continue. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, so remember, let me just introduce this for a second. If you recall yesterday, at the end of yesterday's reading, Pharaoh had told Moses, if you take away the frogs, I'll let you go. Well, not so fast. When Pharaoh saw there was relief, right, i.e. an end to the plague, he hardened his heart and he did not hearken to them as the Lord had spoken. So Pharaoh goes back. This is the first time this is the first time we find that Pharaoh goes back on his word. Until now, he said, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to let you go. Now he said, by this plague, I'm going to let you go. But he changed his mind. He hardens his heart. He doesn't listen to them as God had predicted and God had told Moses was going to happen. So none of this is a surprise. The fact that Pharaoh is going to say one thing and then renege on it, not a surprise. So Moses can stay the course. When you know it's coming, right, it's just easier to take it in stride. Pharaoh is going to be, you know, yes, I promise, I promise. Just kidding. Or <laughs> I go back on my promise. This is going to happen back and forth. And he's not, Moses is not going to stress. Another thing that I need to mention is, what is this idea that um, Pharaoh saw there was relief? What kind of relief? And I need to tell you what the commentaries say. Let's actually see if Rashi brings it here. No. 
I'll tell you what the commentaries say about this. This is fascinating. You know, Pharaoh lives in a palace. And in the palace, he's got a lot of um, privileges that the average person doesn't have. Maybe double-pane windows and other things. Pharaoh also has access to perfumes. So the commentaries say, listen to this, the commentaries say that Pharaoh in his palace was able to perfume and seal his palace so that he didn't smell the rotting carcasses of the frogs. So although it stank throughout the land, Pharaoh didn't bother him. This is the rishos. You know what rishos means? This is the evil of Pharaoh vis-a-vis not just the Jewish people, but relative to his own people. His own people are still suffering because even though the frogs are not jumping everywhere, the frogs are smelling everywhere, stinking up the land everywhere, but Pharaoh himself, it doesn't, it doesn't bother him. So he says, if it doesn't bother me, I don't care. You see what's going on here? The plague ended for him, but it didn't end for everybody. It didn't end for his people. It didn't end for most people. Just him and the royal, you know, the, the, the royal family. The plague had ended in all of its forms. It was still going on. The aftermath was still going on. I'm thinking in terms of, in terms of trauma. You know, somebody experiences trauma and someone else says, all right, the trauma's over, right? And the person's like, no, it's still going. Still, still feeling the effects of the trauma. The people were still feeling the effects of the frogs. It was literally stinking up the joint. But Pharaoh had relief. This is Pharaoh. He doesn't care. Doesn't really care about anyone else. Not even his own people. Sure, to get his people behind his... his um, it, to, to join his execution squad, he says, guys, the Jews are dangerous... I care about you. You have to defend yourselves. We have to get rid of the Jews. Sure. When it serves him, he's all about the people. When it doesn't, he couldn't care less. Could not care less if everything else burned down to the ground as long as he was okay. That's why the first plague that he finally lets the Jews go is the 10th plague. As soon as it hits him, when it hits him, ah. That's a sign of a narcissist, right? Sign of a narcissist. Doesn't really care about anyone else. Doesn't really care. Maybe a sociopath, sociopath whatever you want to call him. Pharaoh was uh, quite the character. And the Torah is reminding us of how not to be. Let's not be the one, maybe not such an, in, in such egregious terms, but let's not, let's not be the one that only can think relative to ourselves in our own, our own, you know, whatever it is, our own um, goodness and comfort and that sort of thing. Like, as long as I'm okay, then, then, then life is okay. Let's think also about, let's, uh, let's, let's think about what's, what else is going on. This opens us up a little bit. This expands our, our awareness a little bit beyond the very limitations of our own self. All right, so that's a little bit of an insight on the, on the frog plague and how Pharaoh renegs the moment it's fine for him. All right, back inside. Let's continue. Verse number 12. The Lord said to Moses, so that was plague number two. On to plague number three. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Once again, Aaron is going to be involved over here because, as you'll see, it's about hitting the earth and the earth had helped Moses and Moses needed to have Hakaratatov the uh, expression of gratitude, as, as we mentioned before, vis-a-vis the Nile. So God says to Moses, say to Aaron, your brother, stretch forth your staff and strike the dust of the earth, and it shall become lice throughout the entire land of Egypt, a plague of lice everywhere. This is kind of gross, but this is, uh, this is what happened. They did so, and Aaron stretched forth his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And the lice were upon man and beast. All the dust of the earth became lice throughout the entire land of Egypt. Yeah, kind of gross. Now, here we go. What about the sorcerers? 
And the necromancers, aka sorcerers, aka you know, magicians of Pharaoh, the necromancers did likewise with their secret rites to bring out the lice. They tried. They tried. They, they tried their best with their secret, you know, secret rites. But they could not. They could not create lice with their magic. And the lice were upon man and beast. Once again, it reiterates. We said over here, the lice were upon man and beast. It says it again, the lice were upon man and beast. The necromancers could not do it. So the necromancers, these sorcerers said to Pharaoh, uh, we've, we're seeing that this is not just magic. It is the finger of God. Etzba Elohim. Etzba Elohim. It's the finger of God. In other words, this, is, this, has, this has God's fingerprints all over it. We can't, human magic, human sorcery can't create this lice. This has the fingerprints of a divine origin. So they were supporting the idea, the notion now that the plagues were coming from God and thus beware. But Pharaoh's heart remained steadfast and he did not hearken to them as the Lord had spoken. So what happens here is that Pharaoh just be, it remains obstinate, remains stubborn, and not even listening, not even open to the possibility of letting the Jewish people go. This time, plague three, he doesn't say, okay, 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 I'll let you go if you stop the, the, stop the lice. He doesn't care. This, for this one, he didn't care. Let's go back and do some Rashi's because we're about to get to the next plague, um, which is the idea of wild animals. Um, let's do some Rashi's. Okay. Okay, there's actually, just ran through Rashi's over here. The Rashi's that we skipped were all included in the, in the translation and commentary that we've said so far. But let's do this. Although I mentioned this, but let's see it inside. Say it to Aaron to hit the ground. Why hit the ground? It was inappropriate for the dust to be smitten through Moses. Why not? The Nile River, we know, because the, the, he had floated on the Nile in the basket. But why the earth? Why the dust? Since it had protected him when he slew the Egyptian, and he had hidden him in the sand. Ah, look at that. Because the earth had provided cover when Moses killed the Egyptian that was beating up the Jew, the Egyptian that was with this guy's wife, the night before, and now is beating up the Jew to a pulp. Yeah, that Egyptian that Moses then killed, he buried him under the earth or in the sand. And thus, he was grateful that at least for a, some amount of time, that was a cover that, uh, that protected him and um, you know, from others knowing the fact that the earth, the dust, it's the, the, the sand itself covered the body was a benefit, was a benefit to Moses. So it would be, frankly, inappropriate for Moses to smite, to, um, to cause a plague on the earth itself. Okay, that's what Rashi says. Therefore, Moses didn't do it. It was smitten through Aaron instead. Aaron is the one that hits it, and it becomes lice. So the first three plagues, in summary, just, just to put things in context, the first three plagues consisted of plagues that afflicted the water and afflicted the earth. The first plague was water turning to blood. The second plague was frogs coming out of the water. The third plague was the dust turning to the dust of the earth turning to lice. In all three of the first plagues, Moses does not do the plaguing. He does not do the striking. It's Aaron who does it. Moses is grateful for the water and for the earth. Okay, let's continue. The lice were, Rashi says, the swarming. Pedioli in Old French. I'm certainly not pronouncing that correct. The swarming of lice. Swarming of lice. It was a swarm. Okay. Um, the necromancers tried their best to bring out the lice. Rashi explains to create them. Or to bring them out from someplace else. They tried. They tried their best, but they could not. Why not? Why suddenly did the magic of the Egyptians, uh, sorcerers fail. They were able to replicate the, sta the staff turning into a snake. They were able to replicate the water turning into blood. Why could they not replicate the lice? 
So Rashi explains because a demon, yeah, a demon, which means like kind of like black magic, like sorcery, dark forces, a demon has no power over a creature smaller than a barley corn. There you go. It, black magic, this, you know, witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, this type of sorcery only works to create things larger than a, bar, than a barley corn, whatever size that is. It's got to be some sort of size of significance. Lice, lice, super tiny. They can't make that. They can't make that through their sorcery. So at that point, they said, we can't do it. Human beings can't pull this off. We can create bigger stuff, but not little stuff. Not super, super little stuff. It's got to be God. Okay? So they said it's the finger of God. This plague is not through sorcery, they told Pharaoh. It is from the omnipresent. It's from God. I love how God is referred to here as the omnipresent, makom. Makom means space. The one who, is, who fills all space. You know, it's kind of like God has control over every space, even the small spaces. Right? Certain, not certain, sorcery has only power over large spaces or larger spaces. God has power over the tiniest of spaces. There's no millimeter, there's no, you know, there's no tiny spot that's the void of God that God doesn't have autonomy over. Even Rabbi, is it also yeah. because, I mean, God created everything. Right? So. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> if God could create it once, he can create it again through a plague. No big deal, right? Exactly. But for some reason, and it would be interesting to look maybe a little bit deeper into this. This is, after all, from Sanhedrin 67b, from the Talmud. It's from Tanchuma, the Medrash, from Shmos Rabbah, another Medrash. So it's in multiple sources that black magic and sorcery cannot create something smaller than a barley corn. So Clearly, there's something about this. You know, what is it about the size that makes it so impossible? I don't know. It's, I'm sure it's discussed, discussed in the commentaries. You know, theories are brought in as to why. But, but the fact is what the fact is that, you know, magic can only operate within certain parameters. And there's a minimum size wherein magic can operate, sorcery can operate. Beyond that or below that or smaller than that, it just can't, it can't do it. Anyway, but Pharaoh still didn't listen, and that's how the third plague ends. You should know there's a pattern of plagues. There's a pattern. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I'll share with you the pattern. This is the pattern as, you know, illuminated by the commentaries. It's three sets of three followed by the 10th plague, which is, you know, a plague unto its own, the, the, the death of the firstborn. But the way it works is the first plague of each set of three is, um, comes with warning. Moses goes down to the water and sees Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, how's it going? What you up to? Let, the, let, let my people go, right? All this stuff. If not, there's going to be a plague. So a full warning and, and, and opportunities to, to let go, to let the Jewish people go. Like it comes with a lot of formality and conversation. The second plague of each set comes with an FYI. FYI, bring in a plague. The third plague in a set just hits. You just got a plague. Are you with me on what I'm saying? The difference? First plague of the set, like for example, you know, let me just show you inside. So, so you see in, in context. What I'm, what I'm referencing. Again, this is something that you can notice when you pay close attention to the pattern of the plagues. I'm going to go back to yesterday's reading for a second. Look what happens. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. He's by the water. And you should say, let my people go. And if not, the Nile is going to turn to blood. Right? So that's, that is, um, that is, the way the first plague works. Again, I'm just going to say that again because I got cut off for a second. So um, let me reset my, in my, my brain. Um, so the first plague, God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. He's by the water. Tell him, let my people go. And if not, it's not going to be good. What's going to happen? The Nile, the, the water will turn to blood. Okay, that's what happens. There's a dialogue, blah, blah, blah. The second plague, 
God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh, yeah, let my people go. Otherwise, there's going to be frogs. But we don't see that it was by the water, by the river. There's a little less formality. It's more of like an FYI, this is happening. When it comes to the third plague, which was in today's reading, the plague of lice, what happens? God said to Moses, stretch, to say to Aaron, stretch forth your staff, strike the dust, and it shall become lice. No warning, no dialogue, no conversation with the Pharaoh. Just, just bring the plague. This is, so these are the three, these are the, the, the pattern of, this is the pattern of three. One comes with a very elaborate formal warning and meeting, meeting and warning. The second one comes with more of like an FYI, this is happening. And the third one in each set just happens, just the plague. All right, so now we're back to plague number four, which is the first plague of the next set. So once again, we have a very formal introduction to the plague. And the Lord said to Moses, I, I hope that makes sense, and I hope you understand why I'm saying that right here, because once again, we're seeing the pattern repeat itself with plague number four, i.e., the first of the second set of three. And the Lord said to Moses, Arise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Behold, he is going out to the water, literally going out to the water or going in the water. He's going to the bathroom in the water. And you shall say to him, say to Pharaoh, so said the Lord, let my people go out and serve me. For if you do not let my people go, and behold, I will incite, listen to this, I will incite against you and against your servants and against your people and in your houses. What? A drum roll. What's going to happen? A mixture of noxious creatures. Noxious creatures. And the houses of Egypt will be filled with the mixture of noxious creatures as well as the land upon which they are. This is what we call... Arov. In Hebrew, you see it right there. Arov, the Arov. Arov means the mixture of wild animals. Wild beasts, dangerous animals. Imagine like a mob of wild animals and dangerous animals just running rampant through the cities and villages. That's what this plague was. Take a look at what God, what God tells Moses. This is still in the warning stage. This is still the script stage that God is scripting out to Moses what he should tell to Pharaoh when he meets him in the morning by the water. God says, and I will separate on that day. I will divide the land of Goshen upon which my people stand, that there will be no mixture of noxious creatures there in order that you know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. God tells Moses that the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews have nothing to worry about because this plague is going to be solely and exclusively against the Egyptians. This is not going to be at all against the Jews living in Goshen. All right, that takes us to the end of the reading. I actually want to do another reading today, but first, let's toggle some Rashi's. Okay, Rashi says, Rashi says, um, a mixture of noxious creatures. What does that mean? Rashi says, this includes all species of wild beasts snakes, and scorpions in a mixture. Wow, look at that. Imagine lions and tigers and bears, oh my, plus snakes and scorpions. That's, that's a pretty wild combination. And they were destroying among them, i.e. among the Egyptians. They were just destroying everything or things in their, in their wake. Um, Rashi now introduces something very interesting. Rashi gets into the question that you and I might have, which is, what, is there an order? Is there a rhyme and rhythm? Is there a reason for you know, the order of all these plagues? Is there a sequence here? Rashi says, there is a reason given for this matter in the Agadah for each plague. Why this one and why that one? Following a king's war strategy, did he come upon them, the Egyptians? In other words, if you think about military strategy, you can understand a little bit about the plagues and the pattern. According to the order of a kingdom when it besieges a city, that's how the plagues worked. First, the king's army destroys the city's springs. Right? The first thing you do, I mean, you. In war, the first thing that's done is you seal off the water supply of the city. What was the first plague? The first plague was about the water supply. Then what happens? Then they blow and sound ram's horns to frighten them and confuse them. And I will tell you, 
It's done even till this day, even in the United States of America. Do you remember Waco? Remember that? Remember Waco, Texas? Remember the Branch Davidian compound? Remember what the FBI did or, or the ATF? Do you remember? They blared loud music and, and that sort of thing to, to drive them crazy, to drive them mashuga. They wanted, they wanted everyone to come out of the compound. They laid siege to the compound and they played over loudspeakers. They played blaring, blasting music 24-7 to drive them mashuga, basically, so that they, they would come out. They thought that was a way to get them out. What I'm saying is simply this. This is an ancient technique that even Rashi taught, even, that Rashi mentions here, quoting the Medrash. The Medrash is 2,000 years old. Rashi is 800, 900 years old. And this is an ancient text. So the plagues follow the pattern of how an army besieges an, a city. First, you cut off the water supply. Then you play loud noise. And that's the frogs. Thus did the frogs croak and make noise, etc., as is stated in the Midrash of Rabbi Tanchuma. So clearly in that Midrash, which I'm not familiar with all the details, we could look it up at some point, um, or I can give everyone homework to look it up, right? Look up Midrash Tanchuma, Bo 4, it might be in English even. Um, yeah, first water supply, then loud noises. So first the plague of blood, then the plague of frogs, which make loud noises. Lice, I guess, wild beasts, wild animals, Sure. It just follows along the pattern of one nation, one country, one army besieging another nation. Okay. All right. Yes. I've got a long note on that. I'm going to come to read the whole thing. What is bow for? B-O. Yeah, bow is the Torah portion of bow. That's the next week's Torah portion. Okay. It says the Tanchuma, whatever that, what's Tanchuma? It's a medrash. Okay. He says, there goes on to detail the remaining steps from that. The chauffeur blast followed by hails of arrows, comparable to the lights mm. which entered the bodies of the Egyptians like arrows. Nice. This is pretty long. Do you want me to read the whole thing or not? It's Just give, give us a little bit more. Give us a little bit more. So, this, so, this so you, first we have the water. Then we have the noise with the frogs. Then we have the arrows like lice. Okay. Right. Then foreign mercenaries are sent against them. They used mm. to like the mixture of wild beasts. The pestilence corresponds to the next step, a mass seizure of captives. This is followed by an attempt to burn the enemy out, the boils. The next step is a bombardment of catapult stones, the hail. Hmm. Next comes an attack by a large army, the locusts. If the enemy, if the enemy still does not surrender, they are held in prisons, the darkness. If the enemy is still not vanquished, its leaders are executed, the, the killing of the firstborn. There you go. There you go. Okay. Honestly? Honestly? Makes sense. I'm saying the, the what's it called and the parallel. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling, thank you for sharing that. And you got a really tremendous resource over there that opens, that opens these sources up. So um, grateful for that. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very powerful. So the mixture of wild beasts, I believe you said, was the foreign mercenaries that come in and uh, right. they, uh, they, they, they start infiltrating the besieged city. Okay. All right. Let's continue. God says to Moses, I will separate the land of Goshen, i.e. I will not bring that plague on, on, on the Jewish people. Rashi says the Hebrew word here is vehiflesi. Vehiflesi means I will set apart. That's, of course, the way it was translated here. Separate, set apart. Um, in order that you know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Look at that line. Although my Shekhinah is in heaven, although my, the, the, my resting place, so to speak, is in heaven, says God, my decree is fulfilled in the lower worlds, I, I still have uh, an influence in the, in the earthly realm as well. All right, on to reading number six. We are fearlessly moving forward. Exodus chapter eight, verse number 19. God says the following, and I will make a redemption between my people and your people the sign will come about tomorrow. What does that mean? Let's see, Rashi. Rashi says, I'll make a redemption that will set apart my people from your people. This is going to be part of the message that you deliver to Pharaoh. This is God telling Moses to tell Pharaoh, yeah, that God is saying, I'm going to set apart my people from your people. 
Your people are going to get punished with the plague. My people are not going to get punished. And this sign, that means the miracle, that means the, uh, the plague, the sign, plague, will come tomorrow. That's the warning that Moses is to tell Pharaoh. Either let my people go or get ready for the wild animals. Well, the Lord did so. And a heavy mixture of noxious creatures came to Pharaoh's house and his servant's house. And throughout the entire land of Egypt, the land was destroyed. Listen to this. The land was destroyed because of the mixture of noxious creatures. Land was destroyed. Um, okay. Thereupon, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. And he said, all right, all right, all right. Go sacrifice to your God in the land. This is plague number four. Right? Y'all can do the math. Took 10 plagues, so clearly he's not telling the truth. But here he's saying what he's saying. He's saying to Moses and Aaron, go, go. Sac oh, no, I'm so sorry. Hold on. Look carefully at what Pharaoh says. Go sacrifice to your God in the land. He says, you know what? You can I allow you to convene prayer services or you know, Jewish services in Egypt. I will grant you a space to do that. But Moses said, so he's not saying I'll let you go, leave Egypt. He's saying I'll let you worship your God in my land. Hey. Yeah, for sure. Can you say hi? Come on in. Come on in. Just say hi. Everyone wants to see you. Guess what? This girl is almost six. Right? Like in six days, five days now? Five days? Next Monday night, Tuesday. It's very exciting. All right. Um, how's the seltzer? It's good? Okay. As you were. Okay, back to our story. So what's going on here is that Pharaoh is telling Moses and Aaron, all right, you can go and you can worship God here in Egypt. That's a, that's a concession. Moses says, no dice, no deal. But Moses said, it isn't proper to do that. But I love how Moses doesn't negotiate against God. You with me? You might have thought that Moses would be like, okay, you know what? We got a concession. Let me go to God. Okay, God, it's not what you wanted. But at least, you know, we, we, can, we can worship you here in Egypt. Maybe it can work out. God said, let my people go. That's the message. That's the objective. Anything that falls short of that, no deal. Moses says it's improper to do that, for we will sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to God our Lord. We're going to sacrifice, we're going to do things that y'all are not going to like. And although you're saying, yeah, sure, you can do it, it's not going to work out. We're, shall we say, incompatible. Like our modality of worship, what we want to do and what you want us to do or are willing for us to do is not the same. We're not on the same page here. Will we sacrifice the deity of the Egyptians before their eyes and they will not stone us? Pharaoh, bro, are you kidding me? We're going to sacrifice certain animals that the Egyptians, that you guys deify, that you guys worship. What? And you're not going to stone us? You're not going to say like, oh, get rid of the Jews? Like, of course. Like, come on. Let's be serious. This is not going to work. Let us go, he says, for a three-day journey in the desert. This is the, I don't know, second, third time the three-day journey is mentioned to Pharaoh. Let us go for a three-day journey in the desert and sacrifice the Lord our God as he will say to us. Let's do it on his terms, not on your terms. You want us to do it here? Uh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You tell us what to do, when to do, how to do. Let's, let us go into the desert. There we'll be with God, and then it's going to be on God's terms. All right, Pharaoh says, okay, I'm open to the negotiation. I'm open to negotiating. Pharaoh said, I will let you go out. Okay? I'll, I'll concede to that. And you will sacrifice the Lord your God in the desert. All right? I'll let you go out into the desert. All right? Progress. But do not go too far away. Do not go far away. I'll let you out, but I still want you close. Yeah? Entreat him on my behalf. You see how it's a bit manipulative over here? It's like, I'll let you go, but not too far and on my terms still. And then as you go and worship your God in the desert, I want you to make as a primary petition 
I want you to put me at the top of your wish list. Entreat him on my behalf. <laughs> Pray for me. You with me? Pharaoh's like, sure, I'll let you go. But as long as you're close and I'm still pulling the strings, Pharaoh has trouble letting go. Let's put it that way. Pharaoh has trouble letting go. So even as he thinks he's letting go, or even as he says he's going to let go, he's not actually letting go. So Moses says, no deal. For the second time in this conversation, not going to happen. Behold, I am going away from you. Not going to happen, Pharaoh. Behold, I am going away from you. I'm leaving. I'm walking away from this conversation. And I will entreat the Lord. I'm going to pray to God. And the mixture of noxious creatures will depart from Pharaoh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One second. One second. I'm misreading this. One second. What the, we Okay, let's, let's understand the context. The plague has already hit. And the plague has been devastating. So Pharaoh says, all right, all right, all right, make it stop. Worship God in the land. Moses says, we can't do that. So Pharaoh says, okay, so go away, but not too far. And pray for me. Okay, so Moses says, all right, deal. I said before he said, no deal. I misspoke. My apologies. Moses says, okay, I'm willing, I'm willing to take that. Behold, I am going away from you, and I will entreat the Lord. I will pray on your behalf, Tashem. And the mixture of noxious creatures will depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. So Moses says, basically, I am, I'm going to go to God and take away this plague. And I'm going to go now, take away this plague. By tomorrow, it's going to be gone. Only, he says, just one thing, only let Pharaoh not tease anymore. No more, no more playing around, no more games by not letting the people go out, go to sacrifice the, to the Lord. You just said you're going to let us go. Not too far, but you'll let us go. All right? Don't renege on this now, he says. Don't tease us anymore. Don't play around by changing your mind and not letting us go. Presumably, Pharaoh says, okay, deal. So Moses went away from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. Moses prays now. And the Lord did according to Moses' word. And he removed the mixture of noxious creatures from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one was left. No more dangerous animals in the cities. However, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. Uh-oh. Pharaoh lied. Uh-oh. Not the first time. Not the last time. Pharaoh reneged. He hardened his heart, changed his mind, and he did not let the people go. This is after a long conversation, a back and forth, and Moses telling Pharaoh, you better not renege, you better not change your mind, you better not lie or tease us, and Pharaoh does exactly that. You know why? Because he's Pharaoh. That's what Pharaoh does. It's just Pharaoh being Pharaoh, and uh, you can't trust the guy more, more than you can throw him. Something like that, whatever that expression is. Okay, let's jump in to Rashi. All right, Rashi explains, when Pharaoh initially says, all right, all right, make the plague stop, go sacrifice in the land, Rashi says he meant in your place, do not go into the desert. So do it here, do it in Egypt, where you are, be officially, officially uh, um, government sanctioned, but don't leave, and then Moses says, not happening. Rash, uh, so Moses said, why not? Our slaughtering is a hateful thing to the Egyptians, for we were slaughtering their deity. And they will not stone us? This is a question. It's a rhetorical question. What, you think we're going to go and worship God on our terms here in Egypt, and the people are not going to riot? Of course it's going to happen. All right, do not tease us. Let Pharaoh stop teasing. Okay. So God removed the mixture of noxious creatures, Rashi says, but they did not die as the frogs had died. It's not like all the animals just died. For had they died, the Egyptians would have derived benefit from the animals' hides. If the animals were dead, the Egyptians would have used the animals, used the bodies, the, the hides, for their benefit. So God didn't want to give them that benefit after a plague, so God just removed the mixture of creatures. Makes it sound like they just disappeared as quickly as they appeared. 
Maybe they went back into the forest. Maybe miraculously they disappeared. Maybe they got lifted up into UFO. I don't know. But basically, they didn't just die in the middle of the streets and now they, they, you know, suddenly there's a leather boom in, in Egypt and you, there's suddenly you know, all sorts of exotic uh, snake boots and leather jackets on sale in, uh, in Cairo, along the Nile and in other places as well. So here we go. Um, Pharaoh hardened this, his heart this time also. Although he said, Rashi says, although he said, I will let you go out, he did not keep his promise. Yeah, we got that. Now, I need to tell you something that I told you last year. And I, and I remember telling this to you last year. And this is one of like the, this is a big idea that no one, I don't know how many people have put this together. I've pieced this together and I've shared this with you in the past, but I, I, I don't know how many have pieced this together. It's absolutely stunning. The Torah uses different expressions regarding Pharaoh's stubbornness. It uses the expression, Pharaoh's heart became strengthened. And it uses the word, that Pharaoh's heart became heavy. And I explained last year, you might recall this, that in ancient Egypt, having a heavy heart meant something. Having a heavy heart meant that the person was acting in a wicked manner. What does that have to do with heavy hearts? There's the famous, you know, um, steels, or I think that's how you pronounce it. Maybe that's not how you pronounce it, but these, you know, hieroglyphic or other forms of, of, of engravings. I saw with my own eyes in the History Natural Museum of History or Natural History Museum in Manhattan. I saw this with my own eyes. It's like the whole hallway has like this long, artwork. One of, the, one of ancient Egypt's traditions was the rite known as the weighing of the heart. When a person died, the tradition was that their heart was weighed by some mythical creature with a jackal's head and a human body, I think, or, or a horse's body, I don't know, some weird type of creature. And if the heart weighed less than a feather, they were granted heaven, or whatever their version of heaven was, but if it weighed more than a feather, oh, that was not going to be good. That was not going to be good. Let me see if I can find a picture of this. Weighing of the heart, Egypt. Here we go. second. Yeah. Why are these pictures so small? Man, oh man, Shevitz. Ah, this is a little bit bigger. Open image in new tab. Here we go. Okay. Let me share my screen with you. So we're all on the same page here. Yeah, you see this? This is an ancient Egyptian depiction of the, the ceremony, what they believed, the ceremony of the weighing of the heart after someone had passed away. And you see the jackal, the head of the jackal on the human body over there, okay? You see there's a scale, a balance scale, okay? On one side is the heart, the red heart. The other side is a feather. And the tradition was that if the heart weighed more than a feather, then that person was eternally doomed, eternally doomed forever. So the notion of virtue and vice in ancient Egypt was expressed and articulated in the language of either having a light heart or a heavy heart. Are you with me on this? Light heart meant that you were virtuous, that you were Your spirit was light. You were, you were going to go to heaven or whatever their version of that was. And if you weren't virtuous, forget about it. You have a heavy heart. Heavy heart is how they referred to those that were evil, that were, that were bad, not nice. Is it a surprise then? Is it a surprise 
that every single time the Torah tells us that Pharaoh reneges on a promise doing a very naughty thing, the Torah uses the expression that Pharaoh's heart became heavy, not became hardened, not became strong, but became heavy. My pet peeve about this is that for some reason, the translations don't reflect the Hebrew. If you look at verse 28, the translation has it as Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay, that's not what it says in the Hebrew. Vayachbed paro, yachbed, kaved means heavy. Pharaoh's heart became heavy. H-E-A-V-Y. What's the significance? My contention is that it's a, it's a message. It's a dig against Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't just, he's not just being stubborn. He's a liar. There's a difference. Are you with me? There's a difference. It's not just he's being stubborn and obstinate and, 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 and like, you know, annoying. He's lying. He said he would let the Jewish people go. There was a conversation about this. He promised. He said, first he said in, in Egypt. Then he said, okay, out of Egypt. Moses says, yeah. He says, yeah, you're not going to fool around this time. I won't fool around this time. And then he backed out of it. You know what we call that? A heavy heart. A, not a, a strong heart. Not a stubborn heart. That's a heavy heart. Heavy heart means something else. Does that make sense? To me, it's clear. It's like, it's clear the diok. Diok in Hebrew means um, the intricacy of the language. There's a precision. Yeah, there's a precision in the language here. So when Pharaoh is just stubborn, he says, no, not, not going to let you guys go. So then he's being stubborn. Then the Torah says, he strengthened his heart. Right? So he's being stubborn. But when he says, I'll let you go, and then he says, I won't let you go, that's not just being stubborn. That's being, that's being a liar. That's being immoral. That's being evil, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's a heavy heart. Okay, back inside. Let me see how much more we have here. Maybe we'll continue, maybe we'll stop. All right, let's stop here. Because we're at a new chapter, chapter 9. And at a new plague, this is going to be the plague of pestilence, where the domestic, well, not wild animals, but where the other animals just die. They just drop dead. So that's going to be the next plague. This is plague number five. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll close out the Torah portion. Maybe, hopefully, we'll have a chance to read some Haftorah. All of that coming up tomorrow's DPP. So what's the message for today? What's a message or what's the message for today? Um, we have a few different ideas that I want to share. Number one, message number one is let's not be like Pharaoh where if things are smelling fine by us, we don't care that the rest of Egypt stinks, right? That's not, that's not, that's a Pharaoh technique. Pharaoh's like, well, if it's good for me, we're fine here. Your country is falling apart. Your country stinks. But for you, there's relief, so you're fine. Come on. So we should be better than Pharaoh. We should recognize that even if it's good by us, if it's not good by the, if it's not good by, it's not good by the other, then that means it's really not good by us also. I can't be fully okay if the other guy's not okay. So that's one message. Next message. Next message is, once again, gratitude and appreciation. The, the earth, the sand, the dust hid the body of the Egyptian that Moses slew. Moses does not hit that earth. Once again, the idea of gratitude. This is a story that happened decades prior. He's still grateful. Next, um, we talked about, we talked about, I think maybe just this last point. That's going to be the last thing that I, that I highlight. This dialogue between Moses and Pharaoh about letting the Jews go at the, during the plague of wild beasts. Pharaoh says, yeah, I'll do it. Well, first of all, do it here. No. Do it outside the city, but on my terms, not too far, on my terms. Fine. But don't fool around. He fools around. That's a heavy heart. Once again, learning from Pharaoh what not to do. What not to do. Let's not uh, promise one thing and deliver another thing and just 
you know, go back on 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 on, on, on you know, promises and commitments. Let's be authentic, and let's stick to our word, and let's be faithful to um, to deliver what it is that we need to deliver. So that's a final message for today. Not having a heavy heart, but a light heart. Although we don't believe in the weighing of the heart ceremony. But it still works as a concept, right? Let's have a light heart, not a heavy heart. Okay, any questions or comments as we close out for today? That made me think of, you know, like the pound of flesh in Shakespeare and again how we're stirred. But here it's the Egyptians that are more acting that way. Yeah, yeah, the heart, the heart is weighed. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a weird thing. There's also in the image, there's a lot of significance to that image. You could all look it up. Just Google weighing of heart ceremony Egypt and you'll find it right there. You'll find multiple pictures. I just chose the one that was like nice and big. There's like a, 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 a tribunal of judges sitting above in the image and there's like people dressed in white outside the little chamber of the weighing of the heart. Presumably those I that... I wonder it, if it has real world consequences. I mean, do they bury the person somewhere? I wonder what... The that's a good question. Why they do. Yeah. It's a good question, and I'm sure it's um, it's on a Wikipedia page near you. I don't mean near you specifically. I mean near us, right? I'm sure it's somewhere on a website explained exactly what the ramifications would have been. Um, I mean, like, let's say this mythical jackal weighs the heart. Who does, who does the jackal tell, right? Wink, wink. Like, who's, who's the jackal letting know, right? Like, what does that actually mean? Did they bury the person with the heart? Did they actually pull out the heart? Was it actually a ceremony? These are questions a little bit beyond my pay grade of uh, ancient Egypt minhagim customs. But I will say that the notion of a heavy heart meant something. That expression meant something to the Egyptians. If a person had a heavy heart, it wasn't just they were being stubborn. A heavy heart meant they were being bad. That meant something in Egypt. So... It's no surprise, of course, that Torah's language is precise. All right, it's great to see everyone. I want to wish everybody a wonderful day. Um, we have tomorrow, we're going to close out 2021. It's perfect, right? Last day of 2021, last day of uh, the Torah portion DVP for this week. The stars are aligning perfectly. So looking forward to seeing you then. Until then, have a wonderful day. Be happy, be healthy, be safe. And we'll see you guys in the morrow. Shkoach. Thank you. Pleasure, Shkoach. pleasure. Thank you. Talk Thank to you soon. You. Yeah, bye, everybody.